All righty, you are listening to Lavender Hill here on KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD, 89.3 on the FM or online at kzum.org. Perhaps you're using one of those handy-dandy, smarter-than-a-calculator devices and listening to us on your favorite mobile listening app like TuneIn or Next Radio. Or, of course, you could be using the KZUM archives and uh, catching up on things because those are available to you there at kzum.org slash archives where you can listen up to two weeks after original broadcast date. So, you well, know, if you're over there, after you listen to us, catch up on some of your other favorites as well. All righty, we started out there with Indiana Queen with This Is Me Trying off of the album This I Do Carry Unto the End. It's also on uh, the collection or the compilation uh, album, uh, which I forgot the title of, so forgive me for that. (laughs) I'm sure I could find it for you, but I got a lot of things to cover here. So just, you know, remember, it was Indiana Queen, This Is Me Trying, and I'm really trying to keep up with things here today. We'll just see how it goes. All righty. Well, due to all the overtime I put in this past week, I didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to go exploring around for news bits from other resources. So most of what I've got is from LGBTQNation.com, including an article by John Russell that was published yesterday. Saturday, January 28th, 2023. The headline reads, Hormone Therapy Improves Mental Health for Trans Youth. Mm, Therapy of just about any kind might do that, but hormone therapy in particular is the subject of this study. Hormone therapy improves the mental health for transgender youth, according to a new study from the New England Journal of Medicine that was released this past week. The study is reportedly the largest in the U.S. to date. Over the course of two years, researchers tracked 315 trans and non-binary youth people, or young people, between the ages of 12 and 20 receiving hormone therapy. And according to a summary of that research, quote, during the study period, appearance congruence, uh, alignment between gender identity and physical appearance, positive affect, and life satisfaction increased and depression and anxiety symptoms decreased, end quote. Researchers reported that young people who were assigned female at birth saw greater benefits when taking testosterone than those assigned male at birth who took estrogen. Several factors could be at play here, they speculated, including the speed with which the outward effects of testosterone manifest and greater social stigma faced by trans-feminine people compared to trans-masculine. The authors of the study noted that, quote, marked increase in referrals but limited evidence as to long-term outcomes have led the controversies and debate, end quote, over providing adolescents with gender-affirming hormones, or GAH. Across the U.S., state legislators have introduced bills restricting or outright banning gender-affirming care for transgender youth. And you've heard me talk about that for quite a while here on Lavender Hill. Uh, To quote Dr. Uh, Kareen uh, Matak, a clinical psychologist in the Gender Identity Program at Columbia University Irving Medical Center, as she was talking with Self Magazine, research like this is significant because it provides more longitudinal data. This helps individuals and their families navigate the healthcare system with more ease and confidence and protects access to gender-affirming care that lawmakers are attempting to deny, end quotes. Uh, 
Opponents of gender-affirming care for trans young people frequently argue that puberty blockers and GAH may have harmful or irreversible effects. But Matok said, quote, We have some data suggesting that gender-affirming hormone therapy is generally safe and effective under the supervision of an endocrinologist or medical provider who specializes in transgender health care and has experience initiating hormone therapy, end quote. Gender-affirming care for both adolescents and adults has been endorsed by the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Psychiatric Association, and many other professional groups as necessary and frequently life-saving for transgender individuals. While the authors of the new study stress that more research into other factors, including access to mental health care and the quality of peer relations and family support, is needed, their findings show that, quote, mental health improves with GAH, whereas withholding treatment may lead to increased gender dysphoria and adversely affect psychological functioning, end quote. That is pretty much the entirety there of that article from LGBTQNation.com. If you would like to find out more about that study, you can go to NEJM.org and uh, look for that study or follow the link from the article that I will be posting over on the Lavender Hill page here in just a little while. All righty. Well, like I said, I've got quite a bit here in front of me, and I'm going to try to address things as best as I can. So we're going to go from research on the benefits of uh, gender-affirming care for our trans youth to something that's really not all that pleasant at all. Another article from LGBTQNation.com from Friday, January 27th, 2023. Violence against trans women is still a thing and not going anywhere anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, with this article, since uh, the Transgender Day of Remembrance and Resilience last year, four known trans women have been reported dead due to violence. Three of them in January and one in December. And there's probably more that, as we all know, this is generally underreported or misreported by dead naming the victims. Uh, the violent deaths of three trans women in January and one in December have been reported thus far. In the latest incident, a trans woman and her mother were shot dead in a targeted home invasion in Chicago. Three other women are hospitalized from that incident in critical condition. The shooting took place in a second floor courtyard apartment in the city's south side on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Jail Omar Burgess, 21, and her mother Alexandra Omo, 43, were both killed at the scene. The five victims were ambushed by two young men in ski masks, one dressed in camouflage who demanded money before opening fire. One of the five victims, another trans woman, shot seven times, managed to escape and made her way to a nearby McDonald's where she called for help. The mother of that woman told Fox affiliate WFLD she believes there was a connection between the perpetrators and one of the victims and that the shooting was a hate crime. Uh, quoting her as she spoke with those reporters, they don't have a good heart. 
In Wilmington, North Carolina, a 27-year-old trans woman by the name of Casey Johnson was reported missing and presumed dead. She was last seen on or about January 12th. Police believe she was killed by William Hicks, a 26-year-old of South Carolina, who was charged with first-degree murder, robbery with a dangerous weapon, and kidnapping. Police say Hicks and Johnson met on social media. The suspect was arrested in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, on a fugitive warrant and is being held in South Carolina jail. On Friday, several dozen people attended the candlelight vigil and march for Johnson, led by the LGBTQ Center of the Cape Fear Coast. While Johnson's remains have not been located, police are investigating the recent discovery of a body in Savannah, Georgia. And earlier this month in Washington, D.C., a trans woman was discovered in her apartment with a mortal stab wound. Jasmine Star Mac, 36, was found by authorities responding to a wellness check. She was pronounced dead at the scene and transported to the office of the chief medical examiner. While a press release from the Metropolitan Police Department and early media reports from the Washington Post and others dead named Mac, friends confirmed to NBC4 in Washington she was trans, including longtime trans activist Earlene Budd. Uh, to quote Earlene Budd, there has to be some way that there can be peace and the violence must stop. The violence has to stop. This week, the Human Rights Campaign also shared news of the death of Destiny Howard, 23, who was found shot to death in Macon, Georgia, on December 9th. Her body was discovered in the parking lot of a software business. No motive for the murder has been identified by the Bibb County Sheriff's Office, which is investigating Howard's death. Early reports misgendered and deadnamed her, with local news outlets using he pronouns to describe her. It is heartbreaking to learn yet another young black trans woman whose life was taken by gun violence, said Tori Cooper, director of community engagement for HRC's Transgender Justice Initiative. Destiny's life mattered and it was taken far too soon. Initial reports of Destiny's death misgendered her, denied her the dignity to be seen as she desired. Our society must recognize that trans women are women and that their lives have worth and work to end the violence that takes far too many of our lives, end quote. Howard's death is the 37th reported killing of a trans individual in the year of 2022, the first since Tador last November. The murder of uh, Jail Burgos in Chicago brings uh, to five the number of trans people dead from violence in 2023. So I guess I'm missing up on two there. So we'll see if I can find those and post some links associated with this article over on our Lavender Hill page. All righty. Well, it may not necessarily be the most appropriate song, but it is a cover of a song from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. We're going to listen to Katie Lang with Joker uh, off of her drag album. I've kind of got a drag queen theme, if you will, or king in this case, theme going uh, for today's music. So let's listen to that. And when we come back, we'll talk some more news. And I got a little bit of a correction there that was originally done by the Steve Miller band. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers did it also, but Steve Miller did it first in 1973. Alrighty, hey, I, even I can be wrong, and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, proud to admit when I am wrong because that means I learned something new. Alrighty, thanks to a listener for 
correcting me on that. Uh, you know, I get messages and emails and Facebook stuff all the time, either during the show or before or after, about the things that I've talked about recently or the music that I've played. And I encourage you, the listener, to do that. You can email me at lavenderhill89.3 at gmail.com or you can message me through the Facebook page for Lavender Hill. Just search Lavender Hill KZUM and you will find that there if you're not already following the page. Alrighty, well, before we go too much further into things, uh, yeah, we've got this is a mixed bag. I, I, you know, I've got good news. I've got bad news. I've got mixed news. And this is one of those mixed news ones. So, and again, you know, coming from LGBTQNation.com from Thursday, January 26, 2023 by Molly Sprayregan. The uh, headline reads, Anti-LGBTQ plus Baker loses appeal when court rules his, uh, he discriminated against trans woman. And this is about uh, oh, a case that might ring a bell for some people. A Christian baker who has spent years fighting for the right to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people has lost his appeal in a case about his refusal to make a cake for someone celebrating their gender transition. In 2021, a Colorado judge in Denver, yes, that's the one we're talking about here, Masterpiece Cake Shop, uh, ruled that Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop illegally discriminated against Autumn Scardina when he refused to make her a birthday cake because she's transgender, arguing that baking the cake violates his religious beliefs. The Colorado Court of Appeals announced its decision that the cake is not a form of speech, and that Phillips' refusal to serve someone because she's trans violated Colorado's anti-discrimination law. Uh, the court stated, quote, We conclude that creating a pink cake with blue frosting is not inherently expressive of any message or symbolism it provides to an observer would not be attributed to the baker. To continue, they, uh, and this is actually a quote from uh, Scardina's lawyer, John McHugh, here, uh, talking with the Associated Press. They just object to the idea of Miss Scardina wanting a birthday cake that reflects her status as a transgender woman because they object to the existence of transgender people. Jack Phillips is represented by the anti-LGBTQ plus organization Alliance Defending Freedom, and I refuse to use their abbreviation, a Southern Poverty Law Center designated hate group. Uh, to quote from the uh, senior counsel, Jack Warren, for that organization, that being the Alliance Defending Freedom, one need not agree with Jack's views to agree that all Americans should be free to say what they believe, even if the government disagrees with those beliefs. I'll get back to that in a moment. Phillips originally made headlines after he refused to sell a wedding cake to a gay couple in 2012 <laughs> uh, and was found to have violated the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act. He claimed that his religious beliefs prevented him from selling a cake that would be used in a same-sex couple's wedding. He appealed the decision to the Supreme Court, which gave him a partial victory, but didn't say Christians don't have to follow anti-discrimination laws. Throughout the year-long, years-long process, uh, Phillips repeatedly said that his issue wasn't gay people's identity, but that his products would be used at a same-sex couple's wedding. He said that selling products that would be used at an event he disagreed with was an endorsement of marriage equality in general. He could 
not be forced to endorse something he disagrees with because of the First Amendment. And he repeatedly said that he would make a birthday cake for anyone. So Scardina decided to ask him for just that, a birthday cake. She said she believed him when he said he would make a birthday cake for anyone, and she wanted it to be blue on the outside and pink inside. Scardina said that Phillips was fine with her order when she requested it in June of 2017 until she mentioned that she's transgender and the meaning that the colors have for her. Phillips allegedly told her that he, quote, did not make cakes for sex changes, end quote. She filed a discrimination complaint and later sued Masterpiece Cake Shop. And in 2021, Phillips said that the cake would celebrate, quote, somebody who thinks that they can, end quote, live differently from the sex they were assigned at birth. But the Denver judge disagreed. Phillips was fine with making the cake and selling it to Scardina before he knew she was trans, but changed his mind when he found out, showing that his issue was her identity and not the product itself. Huh? All right, so I said, I'd let me get back to that here in just a moment. So yeah, we're going to get back to that. As I have said before on the show when talking in particular about Masterpiece Cake Shop and many other businesses that have been uh, uh, filed against in these kinds of discrimination suits, you have the right to refuse service, yes. But once you state or imply the reason of refusing the service as something that is protected by an anti-discrimination law, then you have violated that law. I, as a business owner, let's say, could be providing, we'll go with this, birthday cakes and other baked goods, you know, for weddings and what have you. I, you know, I provide those to anybody and everybody, right? If a client, customer, whatever, comes in and tells me the reason behind a particular kind of cake or color scheme or whatever, and based on that reason, I refuse to do it, I have discriminated against them. And if that reason is a protected class by an anti-discrimination law, then I have violated that law. I am not a baker. Okay, not professionally. I do like to bake. I don't provide those kinds of services, just to make that clear. But if I did, I would be putting my business and my reputation in jeopardy if I were to publicly declare, declare to the uh, potential client, or imply the reason for refusing to give the service is based on a protected status or class, then I'm in the wrong. Okay. Now, that being said, I do provide certain services. I'm a minister, and I provide services. I have yet to encounter such a situation that because of a person's gender, sexual identity, orientation, gender identity, color, what have you, I have yet to encounter such a, a situation to where I would hesitate to provide the services I have as a conscientious person encountered circumstances where I may decline to provide those services because I disagree that the relationship is a healthy relationship. And then when that does happen, I encourage the couple or other persons involved to seek professional couples therapy or family counseling. And then we will readdress the issue. But that's me. 
that being said, okay, let's go ahead and move on. We're going to go ahead into our bottom of the hour break so that when I come back, I will have some time to play some more great music for you and see what else we can dive into. Good, bad, or indifferent. And you know, I didn't actually get things set up for the bottom of the hour. So let's do the music first and then we'll, we'll play the bottom of the hour stuff. So we're going to hear from Christine and the Queens uh, with uh, Jonathan, a song featuring Perfume Genius. And this is off of Christine and the Queens' self-titled album. So enjoy that. And after the uh, station break, I'll be back with some more news and commentary. All righty. Well, welcome back to Lavender Hill. I hope you enjoyed that song from Christine and the Queens, uh, Jonathan featuring Perfume Genius. All righty. Well, since one article is being stubborn pulling up here for me, and it's slightly outdated anyways, but it's still an important thing to cover, I'm going to skip over it for right now and uh, address an article from Saturday, January 28th, 2023, over again on LGBTQNation.com, Greg Owen reporting. Under their life heading on LGBTQ Nation, almost all older LGBTQ plus Americans got vaccinated for COVID. Why? That's the headline there. And, you know, this is just based on, you know, research from the Williams Institute at UCLA, which finds that older LGBTQ plus Americans were affected more negatively by the COVID-19 pandemic than their straight peers. And I would like to point out the pandemic is not over. COVID's still around. If you are able to, I encourage you to get vaccinated, but that's my personal encouragement there. That's totally up to you if you wish to do so. But anywho, uh, using data from the U.S. Census Household Pulse Survey, the report examined the demographics, health, and economic experiences of LGBTQ plus adults aged 50 and older during the beginnings, uh, well, the you know, last three years of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the study was led by research data analyst Lauren J.A. Bouton with Amanda M. Brush and Elon uh, H. Meyer, a distinguished senior scholar of public policy. And among the findings, I'm going to read these bullet points here for you. Almost all LGBTQ plus people over 50 received the COVID-19 vaccine, a higher percentage than their straight peers. More people aged 50 to 64 identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender than those 65 years of age and older. More men than women over 50 identified as LGBTQ+, the opposite of younger age groups where women predominate. Similar proportions among all LGBTQ plus ethnic groups reported relying on credit cards or loans and savings or retirement to supplement their incomes during the pandemic. Mm, gotta love those shutdowns. Uh, more white LGBTQ plus people reported using the same income sources they used before the pandemic to meet their spending needs. Reported anxiety and depression numbers during the pandemic were higher among LGBTQ plus individuals than their straight counterparts. A little bit of an aside there. I had two job changes during the first two years of the pandemic. So, yeah, I understand some of that anxiety. Uh, uh, in an interview with uh, Boughton, uh, LGBTQ Nation uh, asked, what's your top line takeaway from the report? And I'm going to read that response and leave the rest open to you 
to take a look at there on LGBTQNation.com. Responding, Bouton said, LGBTQ plus older people, especially older LGBTQ plus people of color, are particularly vulnerable to financial insecurity, food insecurity and housing instability, and health issues such as anxiety and depression symptoms. The vulnerability is compounded by the fact that they don't have the support many non-LGBTQ plus people have in their lives. For example, they are more likely to live alone, not have children or other supportive family members, and lack LGBTQ plus affirming health care and other services for older people. Some things to think about there, right? Okay, let's see if I can get this article to work that I wanted to address. Ah, yes, it is sweet. Uh, going to NBCNews.com. And yes, this is a story from the 20th of January. So a week ago this past Friday. But it is an important story and I wanted to bring it up for you. Um, Erica Edwards reporting for them on January 20th, 2023. Health officials in Tennessee say that they will reject federal funding for groups that provide services to residents living with HIV. This is a story that I kind of wish that I'd taken the opportunity to reach out to TJ King about uh, you know, the, uh, the Lincoln uh, director for the Nebraska AIDS Project. But earlier in that week, the Tennessee Department of Health announced it would no longer accept grant money from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention earmarked for testing, prevention, and treatment of HIV. In an email reviewed by NBC News, the Department of Health told certain nonprofit organizations that provide these services that the state would turn down the federal funding as of June, relying only on state funds afterwards. Quote, it is in the best interest of Tennesseans for the state to assume direct financial and managerial response for these services, end quote. When asked for comment by NBC News, a spokesperson for the Department of Health said that, quote, the letter speaks for itself, end quote. Mm -hmm. An estimated 20,000 people in Tennessee are living with HIV, though not all would be affected by the cuts. There was no further guidance on how the state planned to fund such programs on its own. The move, of course, stunned HIV experts. And there is an embedded link in the article to a related story on NBCNews.com for that. Uh, to quote Diane Duke, president and chief executive officer of Friends for Life, a Memphis group that provides services to people living with HIV. I can't understand why the state would give back funds targeted toward health care. It's outrageous. Shelby County, where Memphis is located, is among the nation's counties with the highest rates of HIV and AIDS. In 2020, 819 per 100,000 Shelby County residents had HIV, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And those were only the people who'd received an official diagnosis. To quote Duke again, a lot of people are walking around with HIV and don't even realize it. Once somebody has tested positive, we were able to get them into care immediately. Greg Millett, Director of Public Policy for the nonprofit group AMFAR, the Foundation for AIDS Research, called the decision devastating. He is concerned that Tennessee health officials are setting a dangerous precedent. If other states follow suit, he said, we're going to be in trouble. 
Bella said that the CDC provides Tennessee as much as $10 million in HIV funding. It remains unclear how much of that money will be turned away. He said he worries that the state's directive will lead to discrimination against marginalized groups most at risk for HIV. Uh, to quote him again, the overwhelming majority of new HIV cases are among gay and bisexual men, transgender populations, heterosexual women, as well as people who inject drugs. We have the tools needed to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in terms of prevention and care. If Tennessee is not using those tools, not using CDC funding, and not focusing on the groups most at risk for HIV, we have the possibility of an outbreak. He said, the CDC provides millions of dollars each year to states for HIV testing kits, condoms, and medications to prevent infection called PrEP. In a statement provided to NBC News on Friday the 20th, the CDC said that it was unaware that Tennessee or any other state planned to stop accepting the grant money. We have not received any official notification from the Tennessee Department of Health withdrawing the CDC's HIV prevention funding the CDC spokesperson said. Without such notice, the CDC will automatically continue payments to the state. The federal agency also said that it would, quote, certainly be concerned if the services people in Tennessee need to stay healthy were interrupted or if public health capacity to respond to HIV outbreaks and bring an end to this epi epidemic were hindered. All righty, I'll be posting that article along with others uh, that we have discussed thus far over on the Lavender Hill page. I've already got a couple of them there for you. I've been taking advantage of the music breaks to do that. And speaking of music breaks, how about we go ahead and take another one before I address drag performances and moves to block them, not just in one area. All right, so we are going to hear from Queen. Uh, made in Heaven. Made in Heaven by Queen. Alrighty. Well, with about 10 minutes to go in the show, plus a three-minute, well, four-minute song that I want to play at the end, let's see what all we can get jammed in here. Not going to cover everything that I've got lined up, but that is how it is. An article from Thursday, January 26, 2023. Greg Owen writing again for LGBTQNation.com. Failed gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano plans to introduce a drag ban bill in Pennsylvania. Uh, in a memo circulated this past Monday to fellow lawmakers in the Pennsylvania Senate, where the state senator is serving out the remainder of his term after losing to recently inaugurated Governor Josh Shapiro, a Democrat, Mastriano is seeking co-sponsors for a bill that would ban drag performances in any, quote, areas that can be seen by minors, end quote. Mastriano's legislation would classify drag shows as an adult-oriented business and regulate drag performance based on, quote, the scope and appeal for purient interest, end quote. That language referring to individuals, quote, having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters, end quote, is nearly identical in its description to a drag ban bill making its way through the Arkansas legislature. Uh, let's see here. To quote Mastriano in his memo, drag shows that appeal to minors on school property, libraries, and other public places should not be accepted in any functioning society. My legislation will ensure that this is no that this is no longer occurs. Yeah, I'm quoting it right here. 
My legislation will ensure that this is no longer occurs in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I think maybe he needs to, you know, brush up on his grammar. Um, Mastriano cited, quote, an alarming uptick in drag performances that appeal to children in the state and called out an event held by the Rainbow Room, a Planned Parenthood-sponsored LGBTQ plus youth group serving teens in Bucks County. The group holds weekly meetings with a slate of programs including sexuality education, life skills, guest speakers, and game nights. And back in October, the Rainbow Room held a queer prom that featured a drag performance. Hey, I'm glad they had a queer prom. This is related to an article that I found over on pen.org. That's P-E-N. Papa Echo Nancy. Uh, laws restricting drag shows should scare everyone who believes in free expression, according to this article jointly written by uh, Kate Ruan, Jonathan Friedman, Samantha LaFrance, and Julie Trebolt, uh published January 19th. So, yeah, a little bit out of date, but it is what it is. The article date may be a little ways away, but the importance of it is not. In the first weeks of the current legislative session, legislators in eight states have introduced legislation aimed to restrict or censor drag shows. A total of 14 bills have been introduced across the states of Arizona, Arkansas, Missouri, Nebraska, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia. And with that memo, if it goes forward, Pennsylvania... Other bills appear to be being drafted, including for states like Montana and Idaho. The introduction of anti-drag legislation dovetails with a rise in political rhetoric about drag performances and drag queen story hours in public libraries in numerous states and in growing numbers of recent protests at drag events, some of which have turned violent. Uh, the focus of these anti-drag bills varies from state to state, but share some common provisions. And I'm going to try to go over a couple of those real quick here before we wrap up. Uh, most define a drag performer as someone performing while using dress, makeup, and mannerisms associated with a gender other than the one assigned to them at birth. Nine include limps, lip lip syncing within their definitions and must specify that the person must be performing for an audience. Okay. Ten of these bills seek to expand the definition of adult or sexually oriented businesses to include any establishment that hosts drag performances, which would make it illegal for such businesses to be located within a certain distance of public schools or residential areas. Six of these bills also explicitly ban minors from viewing or participating in drag performances, including attending a drag queen story hour. Four bills explicitly ban drag performance at schools or public libraries. A drafted Montana bill would introduce a $5,000 fine to any school, library, or employee of a school or library who is found to be in violation of the law. And in Arizona, it would be illegal to hold a drag performance within a quarter mile of a school or public playground. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's an article over on pen.org. I'm going to post the link to it so you can read for yourself what it entails because it is kind of a lengthy article with lots of embedded links to more information. As you well know, I really appreciate those embedded links and articles because it gives me, as well as you, the listener, 
if you have access, the opportunity to explore and find out more for yourself. Well, as I'm getting ready to hand things over to Deb Anderson with the Women's Show, she's going to be joined by Twyla Twang for the first hour of the show, playing some of her favorites of uh, new music. Not new music? No? What are you doing? What are you doing? She's going to, I guess she's going to surprise us. She's surprising Deb. She's surprising me. She's surprising you. Let's see what it is. I wonder if she's going to have any of that new Dolly Parton that's coming around. Nope, nope, none of that. Okay. Eh, just kind of figured. Anywho, uh, so uh, Tom Einick's going to be joining Deb for the second half of the show, playing uh, some of his uh, favorites of uh, jazz and instrumentalist artists, uh, women artists in particular out there. I'm going to play one of everybody's favorites pretty much here uh, to... Uh, wrap things up before I hand things over to the ladies here. We're going to hear from ABBA with Dancing Queen. I'll be back next week with more music, more uh, commentary, and who knows, maybe even an interview here on Lavender Hill. <laughs> 